Hello, everyone, and welcome to Singularity Podcast. Singularity Podcast is a feature of Singularity Weblog, where you can go and download it or watch it in full. My name is Nicola, a.k.a. Socrates, and today my guest is Douglas Rushkov. Douglas Rushkov is an author, teacher, and documentarian who focuses on the ways people, cultures, and institutions create, share, and influence each other's values. Douglas teaches media studies at New York University, serves as technology columnist for the Daily Beast, and lectures around the world. His new book, Program or Be Programmed, Ten Commands for the Digital Age, is a follow-up of his frontline documentary, Digital Nation. His previous book was called Life Incorporated and was also made into a short, award-winning film. Douglas has 10 best-selling books on new media and popular culture, which have been translated to over 30 languages. They include titles such as Siberia, Media Virus, Playing the Future, Nothing Sacred, Get Back in the Box, and Coercion. Douglas has also written and hosted three award-winning frontline documentaries called The Merchants of Cool, The Persuaders, and most recently, Digital Nation. So without further ado, let me say welcome to Doug- Douglas Rushkov. Hi, it's good to be with you. Thank you for being here, Douglas. Um, let's start the interview uh, with a little bit more personal background information on you, if you don't mind. And I'm interested in finding out what was your um, maybe education and your start towards uh, being interested in technology and the way it changes um, culture and society. Um I guess, uh, you know, as a young person, I was always interested in um, science and theater, you know, and I was never sure whether I wanted to be a a theater director or a medical doctor. And people thought of these two fields as very, um, very different from each other. And for me, they were, um, they were really the same thing. You know, what I was interested in was what animates life. In other words, what makes something alive? And maybe in uh, in medicine it's obvious, although most doctors weren't that concerned with it. I was very interested in what makes a person or a cell living. In other words, where's the line between an, an inanimate object and a living one? You know, how much um, how much autonomy does something need to be considered alive? How much self-preservation? What where do we where do we cross into that, and why is it so very obvious to us as people when someone's alive or not? Yet it's so hard, uh, uh, kind of on a theoretical level, to really establish what that is. And then uh, on the theater side, um, it's very much the same thing. As when does a person just saying these words from a script and moving around on a stage? When does that uh, uh, when does that recreation cross over and become something, you know, emotionally real, either for the audience or for the um, or for the actor? You know, when does pretending um, overtake overtake the real? You know, because they even you know they've done studies on actors. You know, if you have a part of a, a character that you know kills themselves every night in a play. Um, you end up with those negative, you know, depressed hormones kind of going through your body. So I was interested in those two things. And then um, um, in college, I found that uh, 
my most psychedelic friends, my most kind of strange intellectual, um, but, but very countercultural friends had ended up becoming very interested in technology and computers. And that seemed strange to me because I had always known my, my best computer friends and programmers were, uh, you know, more geeky, more like mathematics people, um, from, from my, my elementary school or high school, they weren't these very artsy, um, and, and strange people. So I spent some time, uh, going to California and, um, looking at what these people were doing. And I, I wrote some articles about, you know, the beginning of fractals and virtual reality and, and some of the beginnings of, of networking and computer gaming. And, um, ended up almost accidentally becoming uh, uh, really one of the only journalists covering this new, uh, you know, cyberdelic culture, and uh, then so that turned into um, you know writing books and thinking about um, thinking about media, and that's sort of that's sort of how it how it all came around. That you know, I'm not I'm not interested in technology, I suppose, as much as media. And, you know, how do human beings transmit values to one another? You know, how does something that I believe become something that you believe? You know, and what and what is that and how does that process work and how is that process changed depending on where it takes place? But if, if the media is the message, then by definition, you will definitely be interested in technology because it overtakes any luggage or charge that the message originally could have had uh, but, and potentially replaces it with its own, doesn't it? Um, it can. It can. But um, I think the, the problem with seeing the media as the message is then sometimes you can forget that there's another person or another institution mm-hmm. behind that media. So while you know the medium of Facebook may be the message of the way it works, there's a company, there's a guy, there are people trying to make money off that, off that medium. So mm-hmm. the medium may be the message, but the medium itself is, is an agenda, and it's embedded with the, uh, uh, well, with, the, with, the, with the wants or the desires of the people who've programmed it or the people who've paid those programmers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me let me ask you then, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a sociologist, as a journalist, as a writer, as a teacher, as a documentary filmmaker? I don't know. Um, I, I, the problem, if I, once I put, try to put one of those labels on myself, I usually feel inadequate because then I look at other ones. You know, if I say, oh, I'm a documentary maker, then I look at, you know, Michael Moore and say, oh, well, he's a better documentarian than I am or if I'm a writer then I look at someone else and say oh he's a better writer you know I'm kind of just me um doing a a particular thing you know I'm I'm a uh you know I'm a person who's trying to help um articulate the concerns that many people have mm-hmm. and I'm um, I'm trying to help people um contend with some of the rapid change going on. I'm trying to help people, um, you know, uh, hang on to what, what we would call their agency, you know, their awareness. I'm trying to help people um, act consciously and with purpose 
in an increasingly uh, uh, bewildering um, world. Well, your most recent book is called Program or Be Programmed, Ten Commands for a Digital Age. And um, I was recently uh, posting a blog article about it and was comparing it to Tron. And my line of approach was that, well, in Tron, in Tron, everything that Douglas Rushkoff says makes sense. I mean, there's two people, there's programmers, and there's programs. So the programmers are gods, and the programs are just merely marionettes. Um, and you're either programmed or you're programming. There's no okay. in-between. But how is that going to apply in the real world. How, maybe you could give us a, a, a brief overview of your argument. Well, it's harder to give an overview. I mean, because it, it took me a whole book to say it. Um, <laughs> it's harder to do a, an overview than a, uh, uh, maybe just an example. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're a young person and you use Facebook to socialize, um, if you don't know really how Facebook works, I mean, you know how to click on the buttons, yep. you know how to say, I like this, I don't like this, I do like him, I don't like her, mm -hmm. um, here's my favorite books, here's my favorite movies. Um, if you use this as your interface to the world, if you understand yourself in terms of your Facebook profile, if your Facebook profile becomes your mirror, instead of the mirror on the wall, right? If you use it as your understanding of who you are, then what you think you are, then the way you identify yourself, the way you think of yourself is changing, right? It's, it's changing um, based on what the people programming Facebook want you to think, right? Now, the people at Facebook want you to think of yourself in terms of your consumer choices. They want you to think of yourself in terms that help them sell you and your information to advertisers. They are encouraging you to think and behave in ways that help them make money. It's not to say they're bad. It's nothing to do with good or bad. This is not morals. It's just a specific world, right? Facebook is a specific world programmed in a certain way to lead you to think about yourself in certain ways. So if you don't understand that that's happening, if you accept what they're doing at face value, if you decide to interact to your world and with your world as a Facebook person, then you are quite literally being programmed by Facebook to think of yourself and your world in a different way. Again, I'm not saying it's bad. It may mm -hmm. be that it's better to think of ourselves that way. Maybe the economy needs it. Maybe, I mean, I, I obviously don't personally agree with it, but maybe that is the future and we should stop thinking of ourselves in terms of you know, our participation in society or our empathy with other people or how we behave in the real world. Maybe the way that we're going to get by as a civilization is for people to think of themselves in terms of their likes and their dislikes and how far they've gotten on certain video games or how many people they've gotten to click on something. Mm -hmm. um, but 
we have to at least understand that that operating in that world changes the way we look at ourselves and other people. So in other words, coming back to our world, what you're saying is that our world runs its own specific code. It has its own sort of modus operandi, its own, its own operating system, and its own biases. And for better or for worse, it would help us if we are aware of those and of the ways that they impact us. Right. I mean, I would think it's certainly going to be for better um, to know some of this, mm-hmm. um, you know, that to be to be conscious. I mean, there are there are many smart people who have argued that people really are just too stupid to understand any of this. You know, there was a great argument in the United States between Walter Lippmann, who's the um, really the father of propaganda. We wouldn't have had, you know, the Communist Party or the the Nazi movement or capitalism as an ideology without without, uh, uh, Walter Lippmann. He he understood um, how to make ideas sell, and Mm -hmm. and, and he really invented the notion of ideologies. But his belief was that the masses really are just too stupid to govern themselves, you know, and that they just can't be trusted with anything approaching democracy. So what you do is you create the illusion of democracy. You get a few elite benevolent people to run the government or the world, and then you get good public relations people to convince people that this is the best thing for them. While this other guy who believed in education, uh, um, John Dewey, you know, he invented the Dewey Decimal System and libraries and education. He thought, no, 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 that de- democracy is possible. All you need is some basic education yeah. so that people can understand how the world works and then make intelligent decisions about it. And they argued back and forth for you know thirty or forty years. And th- there's something to be said for both sides of the argument. You know, maybe people are if not too stupid, just too lazy and don't want to know. They would rather trust someone to make everything okay. Um, and, and I would like to agree with that and, and, and just trust in daddy or some leader or Obama or somebody to take care of everything. But you, can, you, you really, uh, right now, I, I think we can't. You know, I do think that more of us do have to be involved. I don't trust um, Zuckerberg and Facebook to create a reality that's really going to serve um, humanity's best interests. So I do think we have to learn something about um, how these different environments that we're living in, how they're constructed, how they're sloped towards certain behaviors or other ones. And if we don't, um, we really do risk um, giving away our awareness, our consciousness to uh, people who don't deserve our trust. But, but doesn't that then raise the question of, of, of why publishing a book? I mean, isn't that basically in perfect following with your own message that publishing a book is one step behind the medium of, of the current age? I mean, wouldn't it have been better if you programmed uh, a video game or a social network of a sort or, or something being programmed. So in this way, 
you are in keeping and one step ahead of the game, or at least in sync rather than behind with the old medium of publishing? Well, the problem is that people do not know how to read programs. So you can't really communicate to people through programs. You can just have them enter into your world. So no, I'm not competing with the other elites to create a more beneficial program. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to do is to educate humans as to the nature of programming. And the only way really to communicate effectively is in a medium where they understand the medium, where they, in, in text at least, people still have the ability to write. So when they read, they can assume a, a, an intellectual posture. They can assume a, a, an active posture when they read, whereas in digital technologies so far, they can't. You know, unless I'm communicating with other programmers, I can't communicate these ideas through a program. Mm -hmm. You know, I could do it maybe in a fiction, in a game, you know, and show a game and, and have a lesson and hear people who don't know how to program or don't know anything about programming end up, you know, zombies and all that. And that's fine. But but I'm a writer. And I don't think that um, just as here we are talking, you know, I don't think that 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 your podcast is obsolete just because it's using dialogue and video any more that I think that that writing a book or an ebook, you know, and which it is, um, ebooks are 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 on the rise, you know, interestingly enough. You know, text is not dead. Um, text is just being reinvented um, in a new medium. But no, not everything has to be uh, uh, not everything has to be a program or not all programming has to be, um, you know, competitively, uh, uh, competitively positioned. Well, but in a world where we have more and more sophisticated programming, let me see if I can connect this to the technological singularity and the rise of artificial intelligence, or at least potentially the rise of artificial intelligence. In a world in which we have more and more sophisticated programming and, uh, better and more powerful hardware running that programming, what would the impact be on the, both on society and, and, and on your motto, sort of program or be programmed? I mean, there comes a point in which the program itself starts reprogramming itself and self-improving itself. Right. What happens then? What would what do you think would be, I mean, first of all, do you see that as a feasible possibility or not? Oh, yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, you've got, you know, between robotics, genetics, nano, mm -hmm. and digital programming, you have really four technologies that are capable of uh, improving and replicating, you know, and, and they will. And the more they self-improve and self-replicate, the more likely it is that they will begin to um, experience desire, you know, that there's going to experience, you know, what, what Kevin Kelly would call wants, mm -hmm. you know, they will literally, they will want to survive. Um, and that's, that's not, um, that's not a problem. I just think that, um, it would be, it would be more likely that even if, if, if computers surpassed us in terms of their ability to sustain themselves, their abilities to think, um, you know, if they if they surpassed us on many many levels, um, 
then we have to start wondering, well, why would computers want to keep us around at all, right? How do we then enhance the survivability of computers, right? And we would do that by being very, very human, you know, and we have to look at, well, what do human beings have? You know, what we have is agency. What we have is awareness. What we have is the ability to see the big picture. What we have the ability to do is to contextualize and recontextualize. You know, if we decide to surrender our awareness to programs, then they, you're right, then they wouldn't need us at all. You know, then, then, then we may as well look at ourselves as a temporary phase in the evolution of matter towards um, greater complexity. But if instead we can um, embrace our own cognitive abilities, embrace our agency, then we can at the very least be partners with technology in the, the ongoing quest to uh, uh, combat entropy with complexity. But right now, you know, as I look at people interacting with machines, I see us making our technologies more complex and making ourselves more simple. You know, as we just bang on glass iPads, mm-hmm. um, you know, I I don't see us, um, I don't see us becoming, you know, even active partners in the programming of our future. I see us having a few people. Um, capable of teaching computers how to program themselves and then being left to turn off the lights when it's done. Yeah, because the, precisely that the issue is what about the moment in which the programmers would be all machines? Mm-hmm. Doesn't that mean then that we are all going to be programmed? Because right now they may be elites, but at least those programmers belong to our own species, I so know. to speak. And, and what, what happens when those entities do not belong to our own species, but are the ones who are programming? And then we are the ones being programmed instead of what was previously the case. The opposite case was previously true. Well, exactly. I mean, that's what, that's what I'm arguing about in the book. You know, that, that if, we don't, um, if we don't learn uh, programming to some extent then, um, right, we will be, we'll be surrendering our, our experience, our reality, you know, not just to the elite, but to um, a mechanical elite, you know, to an elite that's not, even, um, that's not even human. You know, and while some listeners may say, that is better, <laughs> <laughs> that I'd rather surrender my, my uh, uh, I'd rather surrender my, my future, my children's future to a benevolent machine, than to a potentially evil person, you know, we don't know, um, we don't know what those machines um, will be like. You know, it's very hard, it's very hard to develop a program that can foresee all the changes in circumstances. You know, it's really, it's really hard to do. You know, you, you develop a program and you think, oh, this, you think you've taken everything into account and you haven't. And if the machine is reprogramming itself, then it's reprogramming itself um, based on partial evidence, you know, based on, 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 on only some of the picture. And if we've left something out, some important things, um, you know, it becomes too late 
to um, to influence the program. You know, which is why I want I want people to to even if they can't program in C plus plus to at least um, come to understand the the biases of the different technologies they're they're using, and and you know and become more able to uh, uh, determine. You know when a program is working, um, you know working with them or against them. Mm-hmm. So, so do you yourself then do any programming whatsoever? Yeah, I mean I'm not actively programming now because there's just people who are better at it um, than I am. Um, but I'm aware of programming. I'm aware of what's possible and what's not. You know, I'm I'm aware when the way a program is behaving is because it's just a pre-existing condition of nature or because this is how, how some people um, have decided to make it. You know, when I, when I talk to kids who are using these interfaces, they think that this is just the way computers are. You know, they don't understand, they don't seem to recognize that this is the way a certain group of people have decided to make them. And that's really the, the key insight that I'm, mm-hmm. that I'm trying to, the hump that I'm trying to get people over. It's just, to, just for them to see really that much. And I'll, I'll, I'll consider myself having one. <laughs> so what would be the benchmark of, of it? Uh, what would be the sign of that awareness? Um, in some, it would be people turning towards... Um, the kinds of technologies and interfaces that make their lives better. Um, if you know, if if we decided to, uh, if if people began migrating from, say, Facebook to a uh, uh, a, a decentralized uh, client-based social networking software, like one that some students at uh, NYU are trying to develop. Um, then I would I would think oh good people get it you know and people understand that even if even if a certain system seems to have less features on it than another one they understand that in the long term they're uh, uh, you know they're adopting a system which is going to be you know a heck of a lot uh, uh, you know better for them and and offer them more of a, a more of a future than uh, than some of the stuff they're using now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, every time we 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 migrate from one of these big social networking things to another one, you know, I see that as a positive sign that things haven't become so entrenched mm-hmm. that people are are afraid to move. You know, I would love to see. Um, you know, after Steve Jobs dies or whatever, I would I would love to see people. Um, adopting something like Linux, you know, moving into a, a you know, <laughs> open source. Yeah, something you know, people, people, um, you know, unwilling to just uh, uh, you know surrender their authority over their over their devices to AT and T or to to Apple. You know, I would I would love to see that that appetite for. Um, for self-modification and that that refusal to just submit um, blindly to um, the way they want us to use our stuff, you know, and go, oh, well, I guess that's just 
it. Um, no, I, I really, um, I want to see people fight for um, the the abilities that are that are uh, you know actually embedded in in their tools. Let me see if I can take your argument just one step further, though. Um, technology seems to be acting as that that sort of a element which throws the established, the entrenched, uh, dominating uh, media into sort of an anarchic situation in which new uh, things spring up, be it Facebook or Twitter, and and in in that sense, I think you maybe that's the I think that's the reason why you're optimistic and you you see that as a good sign. But what about biology? I mean, our biology has a lot of biases itself. It 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 creates a number of ways that we perceive and look at the world and our own mortality too, which are sort of ingrained and come together with our biology. So the argument goes that if we're able to overcome biology via technology, then we'll be able to overcome those historic millennial-old biases and be able to move to the next step of evolution, which would be even more liberating and would allow us to be even freer at the programming result. In other sure. words- Sure, as long as we're aware. As long as we're aware of what we're doing and the choices involved, go for it. Um, you know, right now, I, I think in, in by understanding digital technology, I, I think um, so far digital simulations um, and digital biases mm -hmm. are louder and more limiting and oversimplifying than uh, biological ones. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you say, OK, we've got these biological biases, therefore, you know, men are going to get violent, uh, you know, unnecessarily in these situations, you know, or we're biased towards tribalism and certain kinds of prejudice, you know. And, and if you see someone with a different color skin, no matter how anti-racist you think you are, you know, you may have some biological predisposition, say, to, uh, uh, you know, to doing to to hating that person because, you know, on an evolutionary level, you were supposed to be suspicious of people, you know, from different tribes, mm -hmm. right? So then you think, okay, I can have digital technology to recognize people and to look at people through these lenses. So then that that uh, program won't be activated, that genetic suspicion program. Um, that's all fine and good. But uh, right now, anyway, the the... The, the the impact of digital biases um, uh, seem to be less recognized than the biases that we have. You know, mm -hmm. the strategy that humans have been working with is to, is to try to overcome, you know, our prejudices and our biases um, um, by becoming more aware of them. And I feel like right now, anyway, the leap to uh, digital um, digital perception and digital cognition would be premature, especially when we haven't come to recognize the biases of digital media. So I, I feel like it would just start all over again from um, an earlier level or a younger level of development. You know, not that not that we can't do it long term uh, uh, and look at it, but it just I want us if we're going to do it, then let's do this. Um, Let's do this consciously. Let's do this with as many people 
um, working and thinking actively in this new media as possible, rather than just you know being told, okay, you know this is the next this is the next place we're going as a species. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Or even not even knowing. You know, I feel like for for the most part we're migrating without even people knowing they're they're moving. So so in that sense then would you agree that we are moving towards a kind of a singularity or towards a uh, some kind of a coexistence or or giving birth to an artificial intelligence potentially? Um yeah, I mean there's certain certain things do feel like um inevitabilities, you know, and that's that's you know, likely one of them. You know, these are these are um I know that you know they're they're not, I don't think that they're aware yet, but I do think of of consciousness or thinking as um you know more of an emergent phenomenon mm-hmm. than an essential or an intrinsic one. You know, and I do think that once um, once our technologies have reached a certain, you know, a, a sufficient level of um, of development and complexity, um, I don't see what would be stopping them from, you know, from getting there. Um, and it's at that point, really, it's just a matter of, you know, whether they, um, you know, if they if they get better at it than we are, you know, it's whether they accept us as partners in, uh, you know, in the continuing evolution of matter towards towards greater complexity. You know, I hope they do, because I think that there are, um, I think there's some terrific things about, you know, the, the biologic reality, but um, it's going to be up to us as people to, to know what they are, you know, and to see what's the difference between one thing or another. You know, I think if we just... Well, mortality uh, being one of the major ones, I think, and the other, the capacity for superintelligence. Yeah, or you mean, the, so you to, mean their, their superiority to us? Yes. Yes, because, yeah. I mean, yes, there may be a few uh, probi- probiology biases, as you say, but, I mean, looking at our own mortality and looking at the limits of our own intelligence... Wouldn't we be more inclined to uh, forego those probiology biases and simply embrace the the new medium as as an existence medium, like the digital um, medium as the existence medium in which we uh, exist in one shape or form or another? I don't know. I'm into diversity, um, so I would I, I would love to see. Um, everything coexisting, you know, some people can go there, decide they want to, you know, live forever or, or do what they think of as living forever and, and go the, uh, you know, go some cyborg route and, uh, other people decide, no, I want to be a bio person and go this way. Um, you know, I think, I think the more we recognize the, the strengths and weaknesses of various forms of existence and, and cognition, um, you know, the more, the more variety we will, we will embrace as a result. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I know you're, you're limited on time, so let me just ask you the last that's two. My, brief... That's the topic of our conversation. 
we're all limited in time for the time being, right? <laughs> Very much so, yes, indeed. Uh, so if there's one message that you would like to, to send or to give to, to our listeners and listeners today at Singularity Weblog, what do you want that message to be? Well, I guess it depends. I mean, if we're, we're, the, uh, we're looking at uh, uh, an audience that's, that's particularly uh, interested in and in some cases enamored of, uh, uh, of the singularity and the, the mm -hmm. future of intelligent, yep. um, intelligent technology. Um, you know, I, I would, I, I, I guess I would say a, a few things. I mean, one is, is, um, you know, we, we gotta be careful what we wish for, you know, the, the, um, you know what what we're talking about here the the you know and the maybe the the Ray Kurzweil vision of um, of a of a uh, I don't know what we would call it a kind of a digital future it, it may be closer than we than we realize mm -hmm. you know that this is that this um, this is no longer uh, a theory it it's 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 kind of a, a reality, and that doesn't mean that um, that it's it's as science fiction or as strange as we think it needs to look for this to actually be happening. But that, the, the question you know, is about the implications, though. Wouldn't the implications be equally radical and fundamental on us? Yes, but. Um, but I would argue, for the most part, invisible. You know that we're that we're we are not, unless we really learn what's going on from both sides. Um, then the singularity is going to be something that happens to us, not something that we do. You know, and as I look at the current trajectory, I the current trajectory, and I'm not saying this to be it's sad, but um, I see people getting dumber as their machines get smarter. And I don't think it has to be that way. You know, I think we, I think the, the, to, I, I think the, uh, all intelligence could be going up. Our intelligence and our, our machine's intelligence. And uh, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's an either or. But, uh, you know, that's really, mm -hmm. that's kind of my concern. Yeah, I mean, that was the concern of the Unabomber, too, by the way. <laughs> he was seeing uh, us getting dumber and dumber and the machines getting more and more in control of our own society. Right. Until... But he saw it as an either or also. He said, yeah, okay, exactly. so we have to go the other way. And, yeah. and, and I don't think it's that we celebrate and push technology so far. Or, and I don't think it's that we, um, that we avoid technology and shun it. I think it's that we use it consciously, that we, that we humans embed technology with our purpose. That is the way we live on. So you don't think that technology would necessarily replace and supplement biology, but it may actually enhance it and, and coexist with it? and be sort of infused by meaning 
in, uh, from biology. Right. At least we push it off that way, you know, with meaning, you know, and meaning other than capitalism, you know, meaning other than than the, the BS that is is uh, standing in for meaning right now. Wow. Okay. That's, that's very interesting. That's a, that's a very debatable point by many of, of our guests here, but it's a, it's a worthwhile point, and, and I really appreciate you being here today to put it forward. Oh, thanks a lot.